If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni Di Giovanni. I'm the executive producer of Pixel Sift. And joining me for the first time ever on a Pixel Sift podcast is Adam Christo. Good morning to you. Hi, how's it going? I'm going really well. We're going to talk about some video games today because you might know Pixel Sift because we love indie games. We love sharing the creativity, hearing those stories about people who make games. But we're big uh, players of games ourselves on mainstream we like to talk about the games that we've been playing recently something most of them are going to be triple a um, and other games that we've been reading about in the news uh, but first up can you tell me what have you been checking out recently what are we going to have a chat to you about today oh, we're going to be digging into the outer world so it's a game that i kind of prepped a review for and have played maybe twice now i've kind of gone through it complete with one character and then i've played about like a quarter of the game with a completely different build and another character as well so i feel like i've You've got a good like taste a lot of, it. of time into this game, yeah. Um, and I've been playing the uh, well, it was controversial to start with, but quite clearly was a huge hit. Uh, Pokemon Shield on the Nintendo Switch, so we'll be talking all about that as well. Let's jump in, yeah. Looking forward to it. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. All right, tell me a little bit about The Outer Worlds because I am a big fan of Obsidian, loved Fallout New Vegas um, and all the work that they've done before that. Um, it was a lot of – it kind of to me, it kind of felt like it kind of came out of nowhere in a way. All of a sudden, it was here. Um, and then you've been playing it quite quite uh, considerably and you've got some got some thoughts about it. What do you reckon? Tell us, yeah. tell us about it. Set it like up, or I guess, I for people who maybe have never heard of the game as well. Yeah, so The Outer Worlds is a brand new game from Obsidian Entertainment. Long-running RPG studio have been behind some really great franchises. The Pillars of Eternity series, which I really love and have about 400 hours in, which is very kind of sad to admit. Um, but they're known for great story craft, creating interesting uh, RPG worlds and just really good world building as well. So that was what drew me into this game particularly it is a science fiction game it's kind of like a gilded era science fiction it's got a bit of a wild west energy about it it feels like firefly was a big influence on this world and it's a new ip from them as well so um there was a lot of expectations going in and a lot of people were kind of calling it a spiritual successor to fallout new vegas as well so i think a lot of people were looking for that sort of gameplay that you would expect from a fallout game or an early bethesda game that focused on storytelling uh, narrative choices and lots of different builds that you can kind of take your character in to kind of experience a story. So that was, I guess, the main setup for the Outer Worlds. I, people say it's a spiritual successor to the Fallout games, but it really does look like it's been Fallout reskinned. Um, that a lot of the major things in Fallout have basically been switched out wholesale um, for things you might recognize. Would you agree with that? 
I feel like it's not really a Fallout game at all. Like, oh, to okay. me, it feels more like it sits into the mold of the first Mass Effect game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a big giant sandbox world. You're not going to get dumped into a giant map where you can kind of wander off and see a whole bunch of NPCs that are kind of running on scripts as though they work on a 24-hour clock. It doesn't feel like it has a lot of that emergent gameplay that things like Skyrim and Fallout uh, 3 were kind of built around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like here is a hub, there will be some spoke side quests and you will kind of go to this point, this point and that point, then you will fly off and you'll go to the next. So it reminds me a lot of Mass Effect 1 in the way that it kind of had a couple of central areas and lots of different side quests and different planets you could kind of jump from as well. So um, yeah, it's it's interesting, but Fallout was really not the takeaway that I got from it at the end of the gameplay experience. I kind of felt myself thinking of a different series of, of games from kind of the early 2000s and late 2010s. So, what what was it about this game that uh, I guess? Where did you kind of land on it? And uh, when you you played quite a bit of it now, how did you kind of sit after after playing it? Are you going to continue playing on? Well, I've kind of finished it now, so I think I'm I'm kind of going to put it down for a while. I'm interested to see if there'll be some story DLC that might make me come back to it and play it again. But I think my first opening hours with this game were super positive. Like, um, it was a very nostalgic feeling about like. Cool, I've got a ship. I can walk around it. I can talk to my companions. I'm getting to know these people. I'm going to give them skills. It had that that fun of Fallout New Vegas where, you know, you really have some interesting perks that you can pick. You have some interesting skills. I started building a character based around leadership conversations, which I like, um, and decided to move away from all the combat abilities and instead rely on my companions. So I liked all of that sort of stuff. And you know, you sit, it's the sort of game where you walk into a town, there's lots of people to talk to, and you start to get a real feel of unpicking and unpacking the stories there. And all of that felt great. It felt very familiar as well. It's kind of like having a nice bath. You're really comfortable. You kind of want to stay in there. But after a while, it gets pretty lukewarm, and then you're like, I want to leave. And so that's kind of where I started to go as I kept playing more. I started to feel like I'd seen this game before. I'd seen what these sorts of games tend to offer you, like multiple times as well. And I was... By the end of it, I was really craving for something more, something to kind of push that envelope a little bit further, both in a storytelling sense, but also in just a gameplay and just everything sense. The combat is also super forgettable in my mind, like nothing uh, to write home about. There's a slow-mo effect that you can use bullet time for shooting, but like, I feel like this is not a game you go into for a great combat experience. I mean, the, the recent Fallout games... So probably the same criticism can kind of be leveled against them. They aren't super good in terms of actually that sort of gunplay thing, and that's one of the complaints that people have sort of leveled out the series that it's it's a pretty good RPG, but not a very good shooter. Yeah, and like I think the thing with Obsidian is when I go into their games, I really expect the storytelling to take me to places, and you know I want to find like an angle, and I want to kind of chip away at it, and I want to like pull on a string and see where it's going to lead me in terms of like a narrative thread maybe i'm talking to an npc and i really want to unpack this part of the world or this what this quest is working on but with this game i felt like it's kind of short it's simple the tone is very much kind of tongue-in-cheek it feels like everyone is like a character it feels very futuramory and kind of built around jokes so it's hard to take a lot of the stories in this game kind of seriously or with gravity um and after playing a game like disco elysium which is another recent uh, crpg that was so built around like deep expansive storytelling and and conversations and narrative it just felt like it fell flat and maybe it's because i played those games so close next to each other that i was a little bit let down by the story Mm, all right so 
So tell me, who do you think this game is actually for? Um, who's going to get a, a kick out of this, even if it's uh, just for a short time? Well, I definitely got some sort of kick out of it. I mean, I was compelled to kind of finish it. Um, and there was that feeling where I was like, cool, I feel like I'm playing like a, an early Mass Effect game. And there's a lot of fun about that. Uh, the companions in this game are really good as well. So there are things that you can grab onto. And I feel like if you are a fan of that sort of like early 2010s kind of storytelling RPG, whether it's a Mass Effect or a Fallout New Vegas, you will grab things from this game. I just feel like, you know, be aware that there is like a level of depth that this game hits and it's kind of a bit more shallow than you think it would be. Mm. But I guess the uh, some of the sting of a purchase of this game might be taken away because it is available 100% as part of the Game Pass uh, subscription for Xbox, which means that if you already have that and you want to just kind of dip your toes into it, then it's, uh, it's probably a pretty easy thing to just chuck a couple of hours at and, and have some fun. Yeah, which is why I kind of had a good time with this because I've been playing it through Games Pass and it feels like the perfect price point for this sort of game. You know, it's about 25, 30 hours. It finishes sort of abruptly in my mind as well. Like I felt like the ending of this game kind of came quite quickly and I felt like there was more story here that never really resolved itself. So, you know, for the price that I paid it at, it was it was pretty satisfying. Perfect. All right. Well, let's jump into uh, the next game that we're going to talk about. Uh, which is Pokemon Shield. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. So I've been playing uh, Pokemon Shield, uh, a game that was kind of, well, it's, we talked about this on the main uh, Pixel Sift uh, series uh, in episode 135 with Matt Trobiani. If you want to listen to that, there was a bit of controversy when this game kind of came out. A lot of the really hardcore Pokemon fans uh, were not super happy with some of the decisions that Game Freak uh, had made, um, but I am actually really, really loving it. Um, I think it is, a, a, as someone who's sort of played every single Pokemon game that's come out, uh, I wouldn't consider myself someone who is super hardcore into it, but a very um, sort of passionate player of these series of games. I think they've just taken a lot of the really core elements of um, the Pokemon franchise, and they've really honed them, and they've done some really creative and clever things um, to push everything forward uh, in uh, for the Nintendo Switch. And uh, it is uh, it's been a really supremely enjoyable experience so far. Yeah, I'm I'm playing this as well, and I'm having a bit of a blast at the moment. It's a, and it's a big nostalgia hit for me. Uh, I haven't played a Pokemon game since Blue. So oh wow, <laughs> it's fun to kind of be like, what is it, nature? Like, what is that? I know. The that's, there's that lots of mechanics that I'm Googling as I play. Oh, there's so much in it now. And a lot of things, I, one of the, I guess one of the criticisms that was kind of leveled at is that some of these mechanics that have been introduced in previous generations, things like natures and stuff have continued through. Um, but other things have sort of been, you know, dropped off for this particular series. And part of that is, I guess, because the game has become quite complex. And if you're talking about people who are going to be playing this game, uh, maybe for the first time, uh, a lot of people have picked up a Switch and they haven't played uh, games for a long time. In the same way, I guess the Wii had this same sort of effect. Um, people kind of picked up a Wii who normally wouldn't be playing it. Um, so they've really trimmed down a lot of stuff. They've trimmed down the Pokedex as well, which I am like totally fine with um, because there are way too many Pokemon and lots of them are bad. Um, and you just collect them just for the sake of collecting them, but they're never actually anything you're actually going to be interested in. And it kind of feels a bit like a greatest hits uh, sort of album in terms of the Pokemon they have selected. You know, there's some of your real favorites from um, the original series from Pokemon Blue. You can get Charizard in it, but surprisingly, you can't th- get things like Bulbasaur or Squirtle. Um, just for whatever reason. So the way that they've kind of picked it seems a little bit strange, but what I think um, 
what a greater potential for this game that none of the other games really have had is um, it, it feels like an extremely good framework which they could go and build upon as well. So say, for example, these things where they're saying, well, maybe the Pokedex um, is limited. There's no reason why they couldn't introduce a DLC which brought another 150 Pokemon into this game. And people- yeah, I was thinking about that myself like today. it's This is almost like a games-as-a-service game that gets released and then you know pokemon in general and then just never has any updates yeah and then there'll be a new game in two years but why not start doing incremental updates yeah, exactly they totally could bring more of these games in they can patch in stuff and they have done it um for you know uh, other games as well there's never been really super big story dlc for the pokemon series um but yeah, yeah. it means it's something they could really kind of expand on and, and they can fix and they sold i mean it sold six million copies in the first week um so which is the highest selling game in the first week of, of nintendo switch and, and broke a lot of records for a bunch of other things as well um so it is obviously a lot of people are getting into it and i've actually surprisingly been playing i didn't i played pokemon let's go uh eevee as well um, which i played a lot in handheld mode but this one i've actually been playing a lot on the tv um, which is kind of a slightly different sort of experience for me. I usually don't play very many Switch games on the TV at all, um, but this one I've been playing a lot. And I just think they've done some really clever things in in the way that they've um, uh, talked about particular you know, little very subtle things that they've done. Like, for example, there's a, um, uh, a, a ghost Pokemon uh, which lives in a, a teacup uh, or a teapot. And that particular teacup or teapot, there's like a variation that – the vast majority of those teapots and teacups are actually counterfeit, but every like one in 16 will be a legitimate one. And there's a tiny little like authenticity mark on the teacup. And that's like never been, it's such a subtle thing um, that they've worked into this, but it just shows that like really uh, like fine detail work that they've done on all the characters in this particular thing. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's really been super, super enjoyable. Can Um, I ask you a question? Yeah, go for it. I want to know about your team. Tell me about your Pokemon squad. I've like, got a, who are the I've, champions? I've got a motley group of like weird fighting dudes, um, which I generally never ever do. But I've just kind of come across some um, some characters that I've just stuck with because usually I try to balance it out. I like to have you know like a water, a fire, a, an electric, and maybe a psychic or something in there. Uh, but at the moment, I've got like uh, Surfetched, which is just my one of my most fav- favorite characters of the new series. Just 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 killing it. Um, I've got a. Uh, Pandoro, which is like a big, um, like panda style, like almost like a sumo wrestler. Um, I've got my uh, grass starter. Um, the I can't even remember the name of him. Uh, you went with Grookey. Yeah, Grookey, whatever the new one is, man, like some gorilla one. Yep. Um, and then I've got uh, the electric dog, the Yampa, the little, um, the evolved I version. I have one of those evolved too. version of that. Cute. Um, I've got uh, a Meowth that I got through Mystery Gift, um, who I basically just used to like collect free items from from the world, and and, and then I've also got that the Coal Pokemon. The for, for whatever reason, this is like this Fire Rock Coal Pokemon um, that I've upgraded. Like I've leveled up to the last evolution as well, just because I needed something with fire, and I'll probably ditch him because rock and fire is not a good against anything to do with water. So yeah, it's just, it's really, really cool. I I think the thing that isn't really super for me about this game is that there are, it, there, it, there is still some real clunkiness to it. And yes, you can skip a lot of the tutorial in this game, um, but you can't skip it all. Um, and there's some things where you just feel like, Oh gosh, I've played every single game. I know how to catch a Pokemon. I know what Pokemon are. Like, I feel like the, the ramp up process is very, uh, it's quite slow. Um, but that's not, that's, I mean, you know, once you've moved past that, there that isn't really a problem. Um, and also, I think the online stuff is 
very clever in that it, they've almost got like a semi-MMO world where you can see characters sort of running around in this wild area space where Pokemon sort of run around. And that's the dream, I think, that everyone has been hoping for in Pokemon, for this big area with wild Pokemon just running around uh, in a big open space. It's kind of the closest thing. It's not quite Breath of the Wild open, but um, it is, it, it's approaching that. Um, so that's yeah, really I'm really great. excited to see how they'll expand that. Like, yeah, in future games. absolutely. They can run themed events and they have got like things on a schedule so you can actually find Pokemon on, on like certain times and they could, yeah, like run like what they do with Pokemon Go, you know, say a week and you can catch this particular Pokemon and, and do that. So that's, that's really clever sort of stuff. But when you get booted out of the internet, when the internet disconnects or if it doesn't work, it is like quite stark. Like it just, it just, the, the the being kicked off the internet moment, like really like it struggles with Nintendo is not good with online stuff um, generally. um, But it just, you really feel like, Oh, okay, here we go. This is just how you kind of feel that experience. Um, Yeah. I I guess who is this for? I guess if you've got, if you have an interest in Pokemon, uh, maybe a fleeting interest uh, in it, maybe you played it when you were a kid, maybe you're coming in and you've got the switch and it's the first one you played since Pokemon blue, um, then it's a great way to get back into it. And I think it's a really cleverly done. There is a lot of heart in it. The writing is very funny in it as well. Like the characterization in the writing is quite good. Um, it, it sort of seems a bit hammy at first because it's like they're really emphasizing that sort of English British sort of humor. But as Australians, it's kind of almost feels like Australian dialogue in a way as well. Um, Cause everyone's calling each other, mate, Hello, how are you going there, mate? Um, and all that sort of stuff. So that's quite good. Um, yeah. I just, I think it's, it's, it's a really clever game and I'm, I, I, I actually can't, I can't put it down at the moment. So yeah, it's something I'm enjoying a lot. Cool. All right, well, let's check out what's happening in the news. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream by Pixelsift. All right, Adam, what have you been reading in the news? What's uh, What's been catching your eye? Oh, look, I found a really interesting article that I found fascinating that was on Vice. Um, and it was this profile piece about World of Warcraft. So, it's called World of Warcraft Changed Video Games and Wrecked Lives. And it's by Patrick Kleppert. And it's it's an oral history of people's experience of playing World of Warcraft over the years in relation to, I suppose, the craze of World of Warcraft Classic launching. Um, so, World of Warcraft Classic has resulted in the biggest quarterly increase in subscription plans in WoW's history. And it was interesting to hear from a whole bunch of different stories of people who played the game in its peak or have played the game over the last few years that found their lives consumed by this game's grind. And as someone who raided in vanilla Warcraft, played a lot of World of Warcraft back in the day, I am keeping a very far distance from WoW Classic and want to stay far, far away from it because Mm. I'm a bit scared of it. So it was interesting to hear about a whole bunch of other players who have kind of gone through that similar experience of, well, this is just not for me now, or wow, did this consume a whole portion of my life back in my early 20s or or when I was at college and I dropped out of everything. So, mm. it's kind of funny and interesting and odd, but I related to a lot of the stories there because I think myself found myself very consumed in World of Warcraft. Like, I did progression rating back in the day as well. Wow. And I also- That's a job. Helped four people get to Grand Marshal. So, the PvP grind in original World of Warcraft was a very intense thing. Sometimes it took up to six to eight months for people to get to that final rank. And the way our server worked was we would have about eight or nine people um, kind of working towards Grand Marshal at any time. They would coordinate together to ensure that their ranks were done in a certain way, that they accrued a certain amount of honor each week so that they could game the system to ensure that they could create a smooth transition of who would get Grand Marshal over a period of time each. 
And then there was a bunch of us helping and supporting and we would tag in and tag out. And, you know, I was a support healer essentially. So when the main uh, healers of the teams had accrued enough honor for that week and needed to rest due to the rank, I would be brought in to heal the teams and squads while they ground uh, battlegrounds over and over. And I did that for like five, six hours a day. It was wild. Like I think <sighs> about the time I spent in that game and looking back on it at how unhealthy it was. Mm. And it's interesting to hear other people's stories about that. Yeah, I played a lot of Warcraft as well back from vanilla. I didn't raid until Lich King. Um, I, I'm actually, I don't have the same nostalgia for the vanilla well, except I feel the social experiences were actually better, um, but it may be just a factor of time. I think now as sort of WoW has progressed and I played up to the most, well, I played up to, um, uh, you know, the not Battle for Azeroth, but the one before that. Um, and it's a lot of that social interaction and the guild stuff, I have a real nostalgia for that connection I have with people, but I have no nostalgia and I have no no actual time to think about playing that game again. And when it came out, I was just like, no, nah, it's not for me. And I actually think yeah, that, I was I think gameplay wise, the game has actually improved dramatically since Vanilla WoW. I think socially it's diff it's not quite the same, but yeah, I don't it just was I'm happy to stay away from it. <laughs> Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. Like I leveled a paladin in vanilla and like level one to 60 combat was press one ability yep. every 15 seconds. That's about it. Yep. And you know, when you're grinding in your your 40s because there's no quests to do in vanilla Warcraft and you're just going over a circuit of yetis that respawn slowly for like seven hours, it's like, you know, I don't know if that's the sort of gameplay that I necessarily want but to I get th- myself. I think in those moments, that's where your guild, you'd be chatting to people about stuff. So even yeah. though you were just doing a grinding repetitive task to level up your character, that those moments was where things were being built up socially. So that's what I think people kind of might have been missing from that experience, which you don't do because you level so quickly now in the in the mainstream World of Warcraft. So yeah, I don't know. I just I, I have I have a mixed feelings about it. I, I I played a lot of it, but I don't feel the need to play it ever again. So yeah, yeah, um, same. So, do you think you ever would try it out or you just think, no? Nah. Oh, look, I, I just don't think WoW Classics for me anymore. I mean, I, and I had my time with it as well. I played yep. a lot of it at release. I raided all the way up to Nax Ramis. I got exalted with the Timbermore rep. Like, I, I did it all. So, yep. <laughs> to go back and do it again, it's no. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to stay away. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, well, look, speaking of nostalgic franchises that people are digging back into this week, um, uh, Half-Life Alex uh, was announced uh, in, with much fanfare. It's been such a long time um, between drinks for Half-Life series for people who've been wanting a lot from that. There's been sort of little tastes um, that people have seen as the sort of Portal universe has kind of been meshed in with the uh, Half-Life universe. But for, for many people wanting a mainstream story-driven Half-Life game, it has literally been like, you know, since almost 10 years, more than that now, since the last chapter of um, Half-Life episode, Half-Life 2, episode 2. Um, so to see that kind of come out and to hear people um, uh, sort of excited about it, um, it on VR, I think this is going to shift a lot of virtual reality headsets. Um, I almost think it was just targeted at doing that, uh, really, like – Valve could have made a Half-Life game at any point. They had more than enough resources. I think there was probably the people willing to work on a game like that as well. I can understand having the thought around how do you live up to a series that has become so um, so venerated in people's minds. Um, like how do you make a sequel to that? But I think they could have done it. And I really think that there is a big factor that they this is that VR needs a killer app. 
Um, and, and this might be the killer app that shifts a lot of units. Yeah, look, I'm with you on that. I've been waiting for something to kind of compel me to buy some sort of VR headset for my computer. I mean, I've got one that could run VR pretty well, but I've just never gone. There's no reason for me to spend this exorbitant amount of money and actually go get one and set one up yet. So I'm excited that this might be the first time that I actually start looking for sales and considering if I ever get one and which headset do I want. Um, because I, you know, there's, I've been waiting for like a full length game that really takes advantage of VR and kind of pushes things forward. And I'm hoping that this will be that game, that this will do a whole bunch of interesting things with that medium that we haven't seen before. Um, what I think is really, one of the things that I'm actually most excited, I played a lot of Half-Life back in the day. It's one of these series I did play. I played um, the original Half, uh, I played Half-Life 2 first, actually, um, when the orange box came out on on the Xbox. We, we played a lot of that. And that was the first sort of uh, foot into the water with Portal as well, which was the runaway hit. And I think what is really clever and what they've done is they've got Reese Darby in this game as well, who's Murray from Flight of the Concords, um, who's very, who just is an extremely good comedic actor. And I think in the same way, I don't know if you ever played Portal 2. Um, I did. Stephen Merchant in that uh, really carried that game along. He was just a brilliant comedic actor um, and a, a hilarious character that kind of carried it. Uh, right through and i really like that type of humor and i think reese darby's in that same sort of boat um so it would be really cool to see how um how it sort of continues out um and yeah i think it's just fascinating i think we'll get more and more about this um as it progresses so yeah and i'm, I'm excited to see valve do a narrative game again because they have such great writers in their team portal 2 is really well written and you know it's nice to see that we'll be getting something that's not dota or a card game yeah Definitely. Well, we'll just have to see how that all, all rolls out, but I think there'll be dribs and drabs as we kind of progress through the uh, through the year. Um, save your pennies now <laughs> for your fourteen hundred dollar <laughs> VR headset. Um, so this has been uh, mainstream by Pixel Sift. Um, it's what video games the Pixel Sift team have been playing uh, and what we've been reading online. My name is Gianni. Um, you can find me on on Twitter at uh, at g underscore di underscore g, um, or you can follow Pixel Sift. Um, Adam, are you on Twitter? Can people find you there? I am. You could find me at uh, Adam Christou. Very easy to find. Nice one. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks at Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream theme music. Um, if you like this, you can check out our Australian podcast award-winning podcast called Pixel Sift, um, where we interview indie game developers and we, we break down some of the industry news and other topics that you might be hearing in the news with a bit further detail. Um, we've got a website as well. You can head to that um, to see videos, articles, and much more on pixelsift.com.au. And if you have a moment, we need your help. Um, this is a new podcast, but for the main Pixel Sift podcast as well, we need your ratings and reviews, and we need you to share uh, what you've heard uh, and tell people who might like this um, because uh, we, we, work, we work on word of mouth and uh, there's nothing better than you telling a mate that you like the show and that they should check it out. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, Adam. Uh, we'll ha- look forward to having you on uh, another episode and talking about what games we've been playing. My pleasure. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator Hironobu Sakaguchi made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade and every level in the game is a handmade physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. 
This offer is for new subscribers only. $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Mm-hmm.